the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast, where we feature unscripted interviews with graduates of the United States Military Academy Class of 1991. The Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast with your host, Jamie Schleck, starts now. Happy New Year and beat Navy and beat Air Force and uh, beat Houston. What a great way for us to finish the uh, football season this year with uh, 11-2 and record and winning in the Armed Forces Bowl. It was just a fantastic uh, Army season and a uh, fantastic way to end the year. And now we're back. It's uh, 2019. It's hard to believe. We've been out of West Point. 30 years ago, we were coming back from our plebe year. And uh, so it's the time that I remember uh, quite vividly coming back uh, that first uh, that first year. And uh, I'm your host. This is Jamie Schleck. We are here with the 12th episode of the Old Grad Podcast. And just a reminder of what we're trying to accomplish here. The Old Grad Podcast uh, was an idea that was kicked around by a few of our classmates, a way to remain connected uh, among our among the community of classmates of the class of 1991. Our intention is to foster continued connections among our classmates, uh, for us to remember our fallen classmates, uh, for us to connect closer to the activities of West Point, and to specifically raise awareness around our class giving gift, uh, which is to the Army Cyber uh, Center, the Army Cyber Institute, as uh, our classmate will quickly correct me, uh, uh, Colonel Andy Hall. It's the Army Cyber Institute. And then also to celebrate the accomplishments of our fellow classmates and where needed to also lift them up. And um, so our gift, our guest this evening is going to be uh, Scott Fight. Uh, Scott is uh, from Company C2. He branched aviation, currently lives in uh, Marietta, Georgia, and uh, he's the executive director of the Foundation for Hospital Arts. So, Scott, are you there on the line with me? I am. Glad right. to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so so psyched to have you, Scott. This is going to be a great time. I know that uh, you were your name was your name came up a couple times uh, in a past episode uh, with uh, Ted Russ, and then also in talking about the whole old grad podcast. Uh, somebody said to me, "You know, you should really speak to Scott Fight. He's got a great story, uh, does some great things, and got an awesome job that you could talk a lot about, and uh, would really resonate with a lot of classmates." So I'm pretty psyched to have you on the podcast, Scott. It's going to be a good time. Um, so have you have you listened to some of the other podcasts? I have. I, you know, you mentioned Ted Russ. I listened to his. Uh, he was one of my roommates in flight school and, of course, have a lot of respect for him. And so enjoyed that, you know, hearing about that was the, you know, Army Navy week and bringing back all those memories of stealing the goat. That was awesome. Um, and the, I, I always can remember in flight school, he had the, the framed, uh, I don't know if it was the 4D or some major. I, I don't know what all that was called, but I'm starting to forget that stuff. But he had it framed on the wall. You know, it wasn't signed by the cadet chain of command. It was signed by the commandant, I believe, his, his discipline. So that was pretty special. From when he but, got in uh, trouble? And I also, you mean for stealing the goat? He did, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it, he had a major board for it. and um, But I think he, ultimately he was uh, he was cleared. Yeah, that was, one, that was one part of the thing that I didn't uh, get to connect with him on was uh, – Kind of seeing what happened when he went before the uh, soup, hey, Joe. I just want to confirm: Do we have? I'm getting a, a comment here that they just lost audio. Some of the people listening, so I want to make sure that it's there. It could be just the, some was one person said that. So Facebook is saying it's trying to reconnect right now. 
It's so. not us. It's Facebook trying to reconnect. So what happens here? Like when this thing's like, it'll probably. It's reconnected. It's reconnected now? Yeah, so people should be hearing us at this okay. moment. Okay, so how does that work on the replay? Do we lose that time? It ends up probably all, all coming together, I think, right? I believe so, and in the event that it doesn't, uh, we take the whole program that we record separately, and you post it on the podcast platform the for Pod people Bean, to listen right, to Pod Podbean, right, Podbean. Right. So um, rest assured, ladies and gentlemen, you can always listen to this on a replay on the Podbean podcast platform. Right. Well, hopefully it'll remain connected here. So it's showing. And at one yeah. time we were having problems. We were connected. It was a bad night to do it. We should be thoughtful about this. But it was the Sunday night before the election. Yes. And so everybody and their brother was doing some kind of a podcast or some oh, other kind of ridiculous crazy. stuff. Yeah. So that was the... Uh... So, Scott, did you listen on the Podbean platform? Is that how I you... Did. Been... Okay, I did. Yeah, very easy, and um, uh, especially they're great. The the ones I've listened. I also listened to the one by Becky uh, Canis Margiota. It was it was great. Uh, you know, we have a lot of similarity interests in helping those in need and the homeless, and uh, so that was uh, that resonated with me. Nice to hear about her life. Yeah, I think I think it was really good, and to some degree, I think it was cathartic for her too. I knew that, like when I talked to her about, it, she said, "Listen, I want to talk about talk about you know my experience of you know having to come out and my experience of having to you know feel like something always constantly looking over my shoulder. Is that okay? Is that okay?" And I was like, "Of course, it's okay. I want that. This that that's great to have that kind of, that kind of a honest conversation, and yeah, that's part of the whole concept here too. Is we want to remain authentic and." You know, we want to remain unpolitical, of course, but we want to remain authentic and supportive of each other. And I got some really good feedback from a number of our classmates, and specifically one really great, uh, uh, you know, pretty uh, comprehensive review um, was from Dave Peak, giving some really good advice on ways to improve the podcast. I'm probably going to go out with like a Survey Monkey or something just to get some feedback from people. We've gotten several hundred downloads of the podcast, so. You know, I'm, I'm sure that's mostly, I mean, it's got to be all classmates. And the, the cool thing, too, is on uh, Podbean, you can see where they're being downloaded from. So I can see we're getting downloads from all across the country, but also like one in the UAE. We got a right, couple in right. uh, the UK. All one the in Hong metrics Kong. of everywhere. Everyone's yeah, coming. Because we got classmates all over. When I, when I send out a, when I also, when I send an email from the, you know, like the fundraising emails, um, I can see where they're getting opened up. There's like a little, yep. so yep. I can see we got people all over the place. That's so. So awesome. One thing we may try in the future, too, is YouTube is a much more reliable streaming platform with the live chat mm-hmm. uh, function. So we are looking at that. See, Facebook right now, I'm getting confirmation from people that they are listening. It did reconnect. They are able to hear it. Only shows that we have two live listeners, but the chat is filled up with people confirming that they're listening and mm-hmm. where they're listening from. So Facebook is a little bit more difficult. Uh, day by day is becoming more difficult to stream on. YouTube is a much easier place to do so. So, and it's very easy to find. It's all about link sharing, to share a link or to go to listen. And Well, it might be better to move to YouTube, too, because then we can have better video. Better video, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. that may be something. But, I mean, this the, the beauty is that we've got the Facebook platform that people are all right. connected to. Correct, so correct. We'll figure it out. We'll we'll figure out what, what works best. So, but, um, so, Scott, you're joining us from uh, beautiful Atlanta, right? That's where you are? I am. Uh, northern suburbs, yes. Nice. So give me the rundown. I see on Facebook, I got all these... Georgia Bulldog pictures of you with your family. So, what's 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 the setup there? 
Yeah, well, uh, my wife and I, we've got two daughters that are identical twins. They're seniors at the University of Georgia. Uh, one's an accounting major and one's a management information systems major. But uh, they have uh, had a phenomenal experience. So we jumped all in, and uh, they're also part of the marching band. So we've been able to go to all the bowl games and trips around the country. I've been to some amazing games at Notre Dame and the Rose Bowl. Just got back from the Sugar Bowl. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's been neat to kind of walk through that collegiate experience that we didn't have. And also, you know, it gives us a perspective on what to be thankful for and all the leadership opportunities that we had that they don't necessarily get. Um, my, my daughters have had some of that, uh, through some programs, but, uh, you know, it, it's really neat to kind of vicariously live again. I know it's a generation later, but live that experience as well. You seem to be all in on that stuff. Is it like every other picture you're wearing a Georgia Bulldog, uh, <laughs> this, that, the other thing. So, um, I, I'm curious, what, what would happen if West Point played Georgia in one of these bowl games? What would, what, what would happen then? I, I think that the, the Army's only chance would be to play them in a bowl game because I think our win percentage in bowl games is higher than Georgia. So I, I think that would be my preference. Yeah. I sent you that link, I, or I put it into the into the in the show notes. I don't know if you saw it. There's actually like a link, like like power ranking. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Maybe I'll throw that into the uh, into the live chat here, what the, what the power ranking would be. Um, showing that, showing that, the, the, I mean, if we played each other this year, it would have been a game. It would have been a serious game, you know. I think. Yeah, I think Michigan's in trouble if they're not careful. <clears throat> if we play there the second game of next year, and we may sneak up on them. I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to that game. Yeah, and I think, are we playing Hawaii again next year? I think we are. We're playing them. I think in Hawaii. We are. Yeah, yep. I think that might be a, an interesting trip section to, to take down there. <laughs> Speaking of trip sections, yeah. I'm coming up on the uh, Friar Palooza coming up in uh, two weeks. We got the company F1 is going down to the, the Dominican Republic, so uh, oh. we're getting together. Yeah, yeah. It's a little, that's look. a great idea. And, you know, one of the things that we've done in C2 that uh, I don't know if all companies do this, but you know, when we went to the 20th reunion, we all sat around and said man, why are we not getting together more often? And so we've been doing annual trips as C2 since uh, the 20th reunion, and uh, there's one coming up here. I think we're all uh, everybody's going to Vegas uh, to celebrate Todd Wasman's promotion to Brigadier General. But, uh, you know, we try to go either fishing or doing something fun, uh, an Army football game, but really just you, you can't let the years go by without getting together. That's awesome. So Vegas this year, huh? Who who decided Vegas? Todd General Todd Wasman said, "I want to go to Vegas." No, and, no, no, no. And bring down yeah, bring no, down the house. It'd be like Hangover, the Hangover movie or something. Yeah, there'll be no pictures allowed anywhere mm. with him. But no, just kidding. Uh, no, I, I don't. Some of the guys on the West Coast uh, wanted to make sure that we were uh, evenly distributed on our events, so uh, they're organizing it. Mm-hmm. That's 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 great. Yeah. That's great, yeah. We're I'm looking forward to seeing my uh, my company mates down there in Dominican Republic. Eddie Bayuth is being our um, our our tour guide because he's down there, stationed down there. So two weeks from now. So I think what we'll do too is um, try to do like a live broadcast from down there. It won't be a quite a old grad podcast, but we will be down there on the Sunday night of MLK weekend. So I may fire up my 
my equipment and get something going. That should be fun. So I'm lo- looking forward to that for sure. And Company F1, we are, you know, th- that should be an AOG sponsored trip because we remain the only class, the only company at 100% participation rate for our class gift. Uh, so that, that is impressive. Yeah. I, I, I want to know how you did it, but it, that's great. I just, I just, you know what I did? I just badgered the shit out of people. I just, you know, Dave Seibert <laughs> said that he went on vacation and he turned his phone off and he turned it on. His phone like blew up because I hit him on like five different angles. I got him, like Facebook, LinkedIn, voicemail, Gmail. And he's like, I better donate before my phone blows up. So that's what I did. But Scott, you have well, been... I- you have been the bird dog for company C2, and I've noticed you guys are now in second place, the highest in the core of 79%. So congratulations on that. Um, and Thanks. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you for doing that. You know, we, What we did this year was we kind of broke up. We found an ambassador in every company and said, here's the list. Here's the people that have donated. Um, you know, Not how much. That's irrelevant. We wanna, we're driving for participation rate. And uh, so I th- I, you were very successful in getting a few people to donate more, which is great. Yeah, it was it was fairly easy. You know, I, I think they say in fundraising that it's harder to say no to two people versus one. And so uh, I didn't leverage that, but I think in the future, uh, maybe maybe two classmates call one and uh, we push people over the edge. <laughs> That's a good idea. I think that works. Yeah. That's a good idea. I've also heard, I mean, you're in the fundraising space. You're a nonprofit, and I am as well. And Roseanne Haggerty, who's my boss, who's Paul Haggerty's older sister, she said something to me once before, too. She said, ask for for money, and you get advice. Ask for advice, and you get money. And it's very interesting. It's it's true. You know, if you say, listen, I'm not here to, I'm not here to get money. I want to, you know, advice. And next thing you know, they're opening up their wallets. So Yeah, but why do you think that is, though? Because I, I know people in, in, in these situations are more apt to offer advice before money. Well, no. Well, I think the point is when you ask for money, they ask, they'll give you right, advice. Right. But I think that what happens is like, you know, I mean, this, doesn't, this is not necessarily for our class gift, but in right. general with fundraising, I think that if you just disarm people immediately and say, listen, I'm asking for your money. I'm, I'm asking for your advice. And I, I'd love to hear your perspective on things and make them like a, like a, like a problem solver with you, like, right. a, like an ally. Now they feel vested in the solution and they're likely to give more money. More so, inclined to yeah. reverse psychology at its yeah. best. Uh, that's, uh, <laughs> You're correct. Yeah. And so, uh, so anyway, that's, uh, that's a little bit about, about, uh, the whole fundraising space, which we'll talk more about, Scott, because this is an area that you're in. But so tell me, so your daughters, they are 21 now, 22, something like that. 21. Yep. 21. And they're identical. So can you tell them apart? I mean, are they like identical, identical or like they're, they're they're really close uh, and they do a lot together, but uh, they're going different directions. One's going to be an accountant at Ernst and Young and the other one's going to work at Home Depot's headquarters in supply chain. Mm-hmm. management so yeah they're 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 unique but uh if you don't know them you might have a hard time telling them apart and, and you know we, we have five identical twin classmates which has got to be a record for the academy i mean it's that's a it has to be and they all went to the academy like and so like your daughters went to the same school and not everybody goes to the same school but like was like what was that like did you like how was it at parenting them trying to not have them be like constantly in competition with, with one another 
It was very tough. Yeah, they, they actually picked the same major to start, and then one of them realized, hey, I'm going to forge my own path, and, and that has worked out very well for her. But it, it, yeah, it, we didn't have to motivate them as much because they were constantly competing with each other. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Now, are they roommates in school? They are. Mm-hmm. Wow. And and how about like um, sports and like I guess they're, they're both playing the band. I mean, like they grow like was all that stuff like the like one gets selected for one position and the other one not. I mean, that's got to be. I think the way my kids are so competitive, yeah. they're not even a twin. They were, if they were twins, it'd be crazy. I think. Yeah, well, I, I was a soccer coach when they were growing up, and you know, I have this theory that when people are parents or coaches, their kids are either the best kid on the team or the worst. And uh, for my daughters, they weren't the worst, but they were pretty close, and they'd admit it. So, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. but they, uh, uh, yeah. So in games, I pretty much would play one half the game and the other half, and then I'd sub them out, and the other team would always go, "Man, that that kid never gets tired." Right, right. Well, you're not you're not following the rules. Like you're supposed to be infield or outfield, or yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my boys are always having this debate about who's the better athlete. They're four years apart, so they've never really competed in the same sport at the same time. They're always debating about who's the better athlete. So, and they they share a room. And my one, my older son's in college now, but they're quite a quite a character group together. They're they're a little crazy. So yeah. So now, did 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 um like twins grow like uh, is that common in your family and your wife's family like no. Like, just randomly no, happened. Randomly yeah. happened. But it, it was a shocker. Yeah, I, I was in Korea, and my wife called and said you you were she was pregnant with twins. And I, it's a lot. It's kind of a quick story, but I, I said I had to think about it. Well, <laughs> we were in the middle. <laughs> she goes, "What's there to think about?" But we were right in the middle of a uh, one of those early morning deployments to your battle positions, and I and I didn't have time to talk, but. Uh, she thought I, I had to think about it. <laughs> so you were in Korea. When was that that you were? So 21 years ago, that was what, 98, I guess, 97? Uh, I was in there uh, 96 and 97. Mm-hmm. And she it was an unaccompanied tour, so she wasn't there with you? She was not. No, she stayed back in Jacksonville, uh, which was uh, her hometown at the time. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so, uh, so, so tell me, so how, so you, I'm sorry, your, your wife has a name, I'm sure. What's her name? Yeah, Tina. Tina. Tina? So how, how, how did you meet Tina? Yeah, I was on a, uh, one of these deployments uh, where we were doing some training at the naval base down in Jacksonville, some uh, uh, ocean-type uh, Navy training with the Navy, and I ended up uh, going out with all the warrant officers in my units, I was the only guy that wasn't married. We ended up going to a place, and she walked into this bar uh, late at night in a hotel uh, to study with the bartender. Uh, and the bartender said, oh, come in. There'll be no one here. So she walks in and sees, like, 15 guys and wants to leave. And Bunch of idiots. Over the- <laughs> Bunch of loudmouth yeah. idiots. Yeah, okay. Oh, I can yeah. picture that scene. Being in, a naval- Being in a naval town, she really did not like military guys but anyways uh they kept harassing me until i finally went over there to talk to her and uh the rest is history i guess well she probably just didn't like navy guys she she hadn't met like a real 
studly guy like yourself until Army guy showed up in town, I suppose, huh? Uh, I think so. Her brother was a Marine, so I think he had told her, stay away from officers, and especially Army ones. Mm -hmm. But it didn't work. And is she originally from Jacksonville? She is. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and then, so you, you, you met her, and then... Did you end up going back and forth? Because you were at Fort Campbell then, right? And like this is like this is what yeah, I, early nineties. Yeah, so we got we got married and uh, finished out my tour or the assignment at Campbell. Ended up going to the advanced course, and then I did Korea, and then uh, my final assignment was at Fort Benning. And our kids were born, and then I transitioned uh, out in ninety eight uh, and began working for GE in Atlanta. Is it, that's that's interesting. I mean, that's a pretty common path for people like leaving the military, going into GE. But tell me about like what was the what was the experience like? First of all, deciding to get out, and then figuring out what you're going to do. Like, so you guys are obviously kind of newly married, right? A couple of years. You got you got these kids on the way, or either or born, I guess, right? And so, what what was your what was like? What was going through your mind? How, how did you come to the 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 uh, final? decision that it was time for you to get out yeah i was looking to do something different um and my wife and i wanted to kind of be near family uh with the kids and and ultimately i was looking at some options of doing some uh startup type work and, and then there's obviously risk there and then um you know i took advantage of uh Bradley Morris, you may be familiar with them, yeah. uh, you know, military placement company. And I had a, uh, a friend from Fort Campbell that was working for the company and he's one of the owners now. And he helped me, uh, through that process. And I, you know, and I look back on it, I took the safe option with, uh, two one year or less you know, one year olds at the time, uh, you know, a steady paycheck, settling down a little bit and um it was the right move uh, but i didn't really swing for the fences for sure at that point in my career i think i took the you know it's kind of that unnerving you don't you don't know what's on the outside you, you got the confidence to do it but you just you don't really at that point know how to navigate it very well mm -hmm. and so I took, the, I took the safe option well also i think ge i mean especially now i mean you know that if you're going to the ge you're, you've got this all kinds of like all kinds of like um, pathways through GE that get you into you know, aerospace or medical devices or you know you know turbine engines and and get some awesome experience that's also transportable. So that's actually a pretty good spot to end up, I think. So I, I would imagine I know we've had at least a, a dozen classmates go into GE. I think I don't know how many are still left there, but I know Matt Lewis was one that was there and a few other guys. Um, so, so yeah, how was, it was a great, great company? Yeah, and so when when you so you mentioned in the pre call notes like your transition, you are the first person that I'm talking to. I think this is transition was really not that hard for you, right? Like you actually found it uh, not a terrible. I mean, not not not. I shouldn't say terrible. It's not terrible, but it wasn't. It like you found it was was it worked out okay for you, right? Yeah, it, it was really easy, and I, I think. You know, when you're when your only experience is the military, you you kind of have this fear of what of the unknown. And what I found when when I got into GE in the corporate world was that uh, people are just they're looking for people to take the lead on anything and everything. And so, you know, we we take for granted our background, and when you walk into a situation and you just take charge and 
uh, it kind of came pretty natural there, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it was a great, great first step for me coming out. And, uh, it's also kind of driven me. I've got a passion to really help people in the transition, uh, it, coming out of the military or transitioning jobs. I, I just believe in the power of networking and, and there's nothing I take more pleasure in that sometimes being really behind the scenes, but helping somebody make a connection and get a job or get a new opportunity. That's something I enjoy. You also became pretty involved there in GE on their community service type stuff, right? I did. You know, I had a full-time job at, at, at GE. You, you kind of moonlight in their community service areas and started as a project leader on some habitat-type builds and other projects and ultimately ended up running their community service programs for all GE businesses in, in the Atlanta area. And got some recognition, but ultimately that uh, led me to kind of start looking outside the company and, you know, what, what could I do, you know, so much, you know, that it's not that it's corny or anything like, but, you know, it really was inbred in me that the lifetime of service to our nation. And, you know, I, I wanted to do something that was, you know, significant and, and lasting. And so I started looking and uh, really ultimately ended up where I am today uh, with the foundation for hospital art. But it was, it was a desire to, to have a role where I gave back more than I took. That's great, and that's uh, that's I think very common throughout our class, and also I think common throughout people that have gone through West Point is that connection to that higher purpose and desire to give back. You, you also got an award there, at GE, right? The Community Service Award. Yeah, it was uh, called the Gerald Felipe Award. Uh, they give out to, at the corporate level for uh, people each year that make an impact for the company, and so that was a, a pretty a pretty distinguished award to get i appreciated it and so you were there at ge for a total of how many years uh nine nine years wow that's a long time so that's probably that's like transition number two trying to figure out like you know that's a big big step where you decide like i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna jump off this umbilical cord here and move into a whole different space right yeah i i did you know i I had a great example. It was my dad. And so when my dad was uh, in his 40s, he left the corporate world, but he didn't. He started the foundation for hospital art. And so, you know, I was jumping into something that was existing. You know, he he made a bolder move. But uh, in the end, you, you got to believe in yourself and and your ability to, to help others is going to transcend anything else. And so I. You know, some people thought I was crazy, but uh, I, I don't. I look back and I don't have any regrets about what I've what I've done over the last few years. I'm just looking at the comments here, just making sure that we're still alive with people. I think we're yes, we are. We're still good. Okay, yes. a few other people had some problems with the audio, but and so so your so your dad started this thing. So what was the genesis of it? I mean, it, it's such an it's such an awesome, wonderful concept, but maybe just. You know, tell us along the way, like what this is all about. What 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 is the purpose of the Hospital Art Foundation? Sure. Yeah. So my dad was a businessman, not a artist or anything like that, and he went into a hospital to volunteer. And a little girl came out of her room and touched him on the shoulder while he was doing. He was painting on the wall. He, he liked to dabble in art, and uh, she made a mess of his mural. And he realized that the 
she, the patient, was much more important than what he was working on as a, an art masterpiece. And so he literally started drawing on the wall, putting a dot of color there, and then moving on to the next thing. And then everybody started to paint. And for nine years, he painted on the weekends. I was a little kid. I mean, I, I painted in Northside Hospital in Atlanta every weekend when I was a little kid, and I just thought that's what you did. Um, and so as I grew up, I always had my hands on it. But uh, when I was in high school, he formed it as a nonprofit. You know, and he, if you fast forward um, all these years, 30, uh, 40, 35 years later, we've donated over 48,000 murals to over 5,000 hospitals in 195 countries. Wow. So, Wait, say uh, that again. 48,000 yeah. murals. Four, yes. 48,000 uh, murals. And so each one of those murals is one of these beautiful, very colorful murals you'll see like when you walk into a hospital setting and you see like this, you know, vibrant kind of colorful pattern, right? Yeah, and, and that we, you know, make it where anybody can do it. And, and ultimately, it's about changing the way hospitals look and feel and, and being with patients and encouraging them and comforting them and involving them when we can. But, you know, transforming bland white walls into, into color, colorful spaces. And, you know, we've done a lot of work with uh, soldiers uh, through the Army through all of our connection, our class connections, but, you know, with soldiers with PTSD issues, art therapy is huge and, and really helpful and impactful. And so I've been to Army bases all through Europe over the last, you know, 15 years, uh, painting with soldiers as they transition uh, out of the Army for those reasons or getting help, and it, it's, a, it's a passion of mine. Sounds like it. Sounds like it. I always think about, too, hospitals... Like hospitals, airports, and churches have something in common, which is that, you know, at any given point, somebody could be having the best day of their life or the worst day of their life in that same space. Like, you know, people are just, you see people just kind of walking around doing their things, you know, like somebody might have just had a baby or somebody might have just lost their spouse or, you know, like, or somebody's, you know, going home to, you know, see their loved ones for the first time in, you know, a long time or they're going home for a funeral. You know, I, I always, I, I always think about that. And I was actually in a hospital this morning. I, we talked a little bit on the pre-call. I've got one of my, one of my uh, colleagues is in the hospital and he, you know, this is not a happy place for him because this is like inner city, like kind of an impoverished area. And, and I've noticed like, you know, I've been in a lot of hospitals with my dad and whatever. And like, you know, there's definitely each one has a different feel to it, you know, and, um, you know, it is what a beautiful thing that you're doing there trying to create something that's like mood altering in these in these areas that could be so, you know, tragic for people. Yeah, it's it, we've been doing it uh, also uh, West po- at West Point. I've been this will be my twentieth year going back, and we usually pick a cadet company or one of the sports teams, and we you know take the cadets out into the community and paint with either sick kids or kids with mental problems or veterans uh, in in some of the VA facilities in the valley or different in that area. But um, you know, there's a lot of classmates from our uh, class that are on my board. I, I, I'll mention some of them. You kind of asked about them, but uh, you know, they, they've had their hands in this for 
you know, almost 15 years as well. But Brian Post is involved, uh, Steve Patton, Clint Schreckheis, Jeff Weber, uh, Todd Wasman, and Tony Benitez. So got a lot of classmates. And, and there's many others that aren't necessarily on the board, but so many that, that helped me uh, get into places, open doors. And uh, it's just been a, it's been a great way to connect and, and also make an impact. You know, uh, somebody just posted a link to an article, Painting Away Trauma. That's uh, Sean Cowley just, uh, just posted it for VFW Magazine. I guess, is, is this you guys featured in this thing, in this VFW magazine? Painting uh, I don't from? think so. Yeah, oh. maybe not. It, uh, it's probably... it, it does say great article this month in that magazine. Uh, he, he did post that, so... Yeah, I'm looking at this. So I'm, I'm looking at the article. Just talking about the the magic of uh, of of art and uh, trying to deal with trauma. So that's uh, that's great stuff. So how much of your like, what's the revenue model like? How does this work? Like, obviously, you got to make money to keep this thing going. So do people sponsor these things, or how does it work? We, we do. So our, our model is based primarily on two sources of income, corporate donations and individual donations. And so I, I do a lot of corporate team building events where, you know, we may paint with a hundred or 500 employees at a company, maybe as an evening event after a day of meetings and teams of 12 will do one six panel mural that gets donated to brighten up a hospital or a cancer center. Um, and then a lot of our individual donations go to projects where we paint with the homeless or with veterans, or um, I even work in the prisons. Uh, it, it allows us to do um, projects outside the, this country where we can make an impact in hospitals. And so, uh, some, we get a little bit of foundational support, uh, out there, but, you know, primarily it's a lot of corporate events that uh, enable us to, to reach all these hospitals. So like, what's the metrics? How many murals you've done 48,000 that's over a course of, you know, yeah. dozens of years, but yeah. how, like how many a year are you trying to shoot for? What's the, what's the, what's the goal? Yeah, we're averaging right now about twelve hundred to thirteen hundred murals a year. Mm-hmm. And these are like uh, like a mural is what like eight by ten, eight feet by ten feet, or what's the size of it? Um, they they tend to be about three feet by six feet, uh, so that they can fit in hospital. We do some directly on the walls, like I just did some with the Atlanta Braves that were on the walls, but primarily we do them on the canvases so that. Hospitals have the flexibility to move them, take them down, paint. Uh, and it, the canvases also allow us to paint with patients in their beds mm-hmm. uh, or in wheelchairs. It, it, they're much much easier to work with. You can ship them a lot easier around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned Brian Post, like, because he's the one I was trying to... Somebody mentioned to me, like, you've got to talk to Scott fight fight about what he's doing it was brian post because he's on he, is he on your board he's a company made of yours right nc2 he he is yeah we've traveled the world together painting in china and mongolia and germany and <laughs> uh you, you name the country we've probably been there and painted it, it it's pretty special so not only do you get to do these great things and help people in need you also get to do these trips overseas with classmates that that are probably like great memory creation uh, events, right? Yeah, we do. I, it, it's really it's it's a way to keep us tied together, but also 
um, just really make a difference. Uh, you know, when you go outside this country, the hospitals are just nowhere near the uh, condition uh, that we're used to in this country. And so you walk into a hospital in, in, uh, in Cambodia or uh, Mongolia, where I was this summer, uh, there's nothing on the walls. And it, it's, it's amazing. Well, there's some places even in our country, like the place I was today in Brownsville, Brooklyn, where there's not a lot going on either. So I know you've got, you know, uh, you know, you got places all over the country and all over the world, but uh, Brownsville is a place where we could definitely use some of your uh, some of your support. I'm sure. So I definitely want to follow up right, with well, you on that. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll get with you later, and we'll, we'll make that happen. So, like, what, like, um. Well, by the way, I want to just give a shout out real quick to some of our classmates that have joined the podcast that are listening. So Tim Thatcher, who I have not heard from in many years, Thatch is on the call. I love that guy. He was We went to OBC together, and he's a riot. And uh, Kami Ayanako, Sean Cowley, Matt Lewis, Alex Rogers, Moose George, um, Scott Clemenson, Chris Collins, uh, Bryn Zwiege, uh, I think I mispronounced that name. Sorry about that. Um, it's Brian Brian Ziggy. Okay, yeah. How can we spell his name like Bryn? Then why is it? Why is this? Why is it? That's a that's a interesting spelling of Brian. Um, yeah. So I'm sorry for butchering your name, my friend. Um, and then um, yeah. So we got people that come in and out. So the, so this is uh, this is great to have them all listening in like that. So. So how does the economics work? So you're going to, like, like one mural. Like, if I want to have, if I want to do a mural with my team, a team building thing, like, what is it, like, what does a program look like? How, yeah. how does that, how does that happen? Yeah, so the, the murals are 700 each, uh, plus some shipping, uh, which is not very much. And then if it's a large event where we uh, facilitate it, um, usually I'll put quotes together, you know, if it's three or 400 people, I'll put a quote together for a corporate event, something like that. But the beauty of it is on the small scale, I mean, we even have families that order them as kits and do them at Thanksgiving or over the holidays, family reunions. But um, we just ship the kits and all the paint and supplies, and then people paint, and they send them back to us. We'll check them, touch them up, and then we send them out to the hospitals. So, like, if I, if you have a family get together, you say we're going to paint one of these murals. It's going to go into a hospital setting. You send out the kit. We pay seven hundred bucks. We paint the whole thing. We send it back to you, and then you guys get it put out into, out into circulation. We do. Yeah. Ah. And so, I mean, many of our classmates uh, who may be listening to this, you know, run teams. They have people that you know they want to do some kind of employee engagement. This is a great opportunity to, to to do just that. You're you know creating something where there's a bonding atmosphere with your team, but also you can give back, which is a which is a great thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you do it with three and four hundred people too at, at a time, so that that's like a big event if you're just doing something like that, right? Yeah, we do, and I, the, I think the largest one I've done is twenty three hundred at one time. So we can <laughs> we can do them big, but yeah, the, I think the average event is probably a hundred to three hundred people. Mm. And how many? Uh, well, it, I'm so interested by this. I I want to spend the whole night talking about this, but this is such a cool thing. Um, so now, like you must have you must rub up against other people that are that are doing things like the, that maybe are famous or like people that like who have, who have you run into like along the way, like doing this stuff? Like uh, tell me some of your, your stories of, uh, of, of interactions with people. 
Yeah, I mean, I we, we do some professional sports teams and events. So I, you know, I actually have a client in Germany. I, I paint with one of the German Bundesliga football teams. So I paint uh, almost annually. I go over there and I paint with, uh, you know, that's the equivalent of the NFL. All their their soccer players, but uh, I've done a lot of stuff with the PGA Tour over the years. Uh, painting with Jim Furyk and um, all, all kind—I mean, you name a lot of the golfers. Uh, I've met them uh, personally. We've done some NFL teams, uh, but uh, you know, just uh, a, a wide array of people. I mean, going back, my dad—you know—he's he painted with Rosa Parks, and he—he's been invited to the uh, White House. Uh, it's you know, Bob Hope painted with him, so. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, wow, uh, th- these are almost B and C list. You know, Jean Claude Van Damme and some other some other famous actors and actresses. But it's uh, you, you definitely run into some of them at some of the events for sure. Tell me the story you, you mentioned on the pre-call about the cadet that was working with the little girl. Yeah, you know, you were you asked me a question about you know why did I get into this and you know you 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 always challenge yourself or when you're following your dad into something and, you know, is it, you know, pressure from family is your passion really into it. And, you know, not that I struggled with it, but I I wanted to definitively know that my passion was in this, if I was going to invest my life into it. And, uh, it was in one of the early West Point paint fest. We, uh, took a hundred cadets. It was one of the cadet companies and we took them down to the, uh, Rockland County children's psychiatric hospital. And for those that know that place, it's a scary place. And th- these kids that are in there have just had the worst things ever happen to them. And uh, we set up in the gym, and we had about two cadets for every uh, one kid. These were like 10 to 15-year-old kids. And um, I sat down with one little uh, girl, and there was a cadet there, and she wasn't talking to anyone. And, you know, I said, hey, what's your name? And she wouldn't give me her name. And I, I I don't give in that easy. So I looked at the cadet next to her. I said, what's your name? And he said, Brandon from St. Louis. And I looked back at her and I said, well, Brandon doesn't know what he's doing. You need to help him. And, and I walked away. And so we paint for two hours and uh, the hospital administrator comes up to me afterwards. And she says, the most amazing thing happened today. We've had a girl here that's been abused by her family sexually and physically and she refuses to speak to anyone for the last three weeks she's been here. And the art has enabled her to open up, and now she's ready to, to get some care and talk to us. And it was kind of in that moment where I, I realized, you know what, um, art can make a difference. And, um, and I, you know, I don't get too scientific about it. Um, you know, all the studies will tell you that, People heal faster if there's art on the walls, and a lot of smart people with PhDs do that. But uh, I just know that you know when you're in that moment and you're with people, uh, art is a medium to, to a method to, to reach people, and uh, and I've committed my life to it. So uh, that that all that all started back at West Point, believe it or not. So were you when that when that experience happened that was such a moving experience for you were you already doing this had you made the decision to make that transition or were you just kind of helping out and then you said this is really what I want to do Yeah I was helping out I was still at GE at that point uh, mm-hmm. and it just taken a weekend uh, to head up to West Point to do that 
Wow. That's amazing. So how, how much of this ends up going down on weekends versus weekdays? You know, a lot of my corporate events are in the middle of the week. Uh, like I'm doing an event in Boston this week. Um, but, uh, a lot of the events I do at West Point and, and other, other facilities I end up doing on the weekends. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a drag the whole weekend. I noticed that too, like with a lot of these nonprofits, especially like the mission continues, which is one of the, you know, I think one of the premier, um, nonprofits focused on veteran service and also like team red, white and blue and, the, a lot of their events happen on the weekends. And so like, that's great. Like if you're going to participate in like one event, but if you're running the organization that's doing that, it means you're, you're working on weekends a lot. And, uh, that's all well and good when you're a young person without a family, but when you got kids and stuff, I mean, it's, I'm sure you've had to make some sacrifices along the way to keep a uh, hospital art foundation moving, uh, to make that work. Yeah. Yeah, my dad, I guess, when I, well, once I was grown, he painted every Saturday with the homeless in Atlanta. And when he retired, I, I picked it up, but I, I had two kids in high school at the time, and I had to scale that back, kind of to your point. Like, you know, it, you'll burn yourself out if you're working six and a half days a week. Um, uh, as much as much as you can love the mission, you, you just got to be careful. You don't, don't burn yourself out too hard. Yeah, yeah. I can relate. Um, so tell me about this Paint Fest America. How, how does that work? Yeah, so two years ago, I was looking for a way to really make an impact uh, nationally. And we uh, came up with this concept at one of our board meetings where we would paint in all 50 states, one state a day for 50 straight days, going around the country, uniting cancer survivors with cancer patients uh, in creating artwork that would be donated to all these cancer hospitals. And so we uh, started on the 5th of July with a kickoff in D.C. and then went around the country and, you know, it'd be like 100 people at every hospital painting for 50 straight days. And it was unbelievable, um, very uh, moving in so many locations to see the inspiration of the survivors coming back and providing encouragement and uh, really just, you know, creating a tapestry across this country of cancer survivors. And, um, it, it really kind of took our, our mission to a, a national level at that point. And I'm kind of working on stage two. You and I talked about it. My, my next goal is to, uh, do it with veterans in this country. And I've, I'm going to be uh, putting that plan together. Clint Schreckheis has been really helpful. He's, you know, works in uh, uh, Fort Belvoir there in D.C. and uh, or, uh, and he's he's been really, you know, instrumental in us reaching out and working with uh, not only the active duty army but veterans hospitals. And you know, I'm, I'm hoping to, you know, you, you said, hey, maybe somebody will uh, latch on to this, but you know, maybe we'll have some classmates that can get involved, whether it's financially, but you know, I would really love to just get people involved because uh, we're spread out all around the country. And so when we do this, we we uh, it'd be a chance to do projects in all the states and get our classmates involved. I think that would be really, really special. How many people do you have on your team? So there are seven of us full time uh, or I'm sorry, uh, four of us. Uh, full-time and three part-time mm -hmm. and then we really rely on hundreds of volunteers mm -hmm. uh trying to keep 
trying to keep our costs down and we have volunteers around the country that help. I've got a, a, a you know, pretty large board of people and, you know, tapping into their talents and their, and their time. Yeah. We definitely think too, aligning with like team red, white and blue or aligning with, um, the, um, TMC, some, some organization like that, I think would be, would be helpful for you. You know, mission continues. Um, you know, because they're they're already they're they're so involved with engaging veterans to do stuff, and what they're doing like, you know, they're painting fences, they're fixing doorsteps, they're doing all that kind of stuff. But doing a project like this uh, would really be, I think, uh, also a great thing to do. And so, how do you guys decide like on the patterns and stuff? How do you decide on like which 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 murals you're going to do? Like, is it, I I don't are they all different? Or are they all like do you have set patterns? Yeah, we have about 30 standard designs we're doing right now, but we also have a lot of custom patriotic designs, and so you wouldn't necessarily see them all on our website, but I've got some artists on our team that, you know, you give us a, a concept and then we go with it. And so, you know, we may do, you know, for a lot of the VA events, we do a lot of eagles and flags and, and a lot of trying to trying to be creative and uh, looks, uh, logos of the different branches of service we've done as well. Uh, but, uh, it really depends. A lot of times the hospitals give us their input on what they want. Mm -hmm. And then we, we take that. Wow. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. That's, that's, uh, that's great stuff. So, uh, Joe, one, I didn't, I didn't mention this to you, but one of the things that one of the feedback, one of the, from one of the listeners was that they'd like to be able to call in again. Like the, the call in was a really cool thing to kind of mix it up. Okay. So should we give out the number for people to call in if they have if an interest? If you'd like to, I'll conference them in with him. Yeah. And, uh, so if somebody wants to call in, I'm going to put the call in number into yeah. the uh, chat box. I mean, does no pressure that they have to call in, but it was a suggestion that people really liked that because we were doing that initially and then we, um, and then we stopped, but. Uh, so it's 201-289-8200 if you want to call in and talk to Scott Fight uh, about uh, hospital art and ask him more questions. Um, I'm putting that into the into the chat line too. So if you uh, if you want to call in, area code 201-289-8200. We'll conference you in and. But no pressure to do it. Just no. to put it out there, if people want to call. So we we, we have uh, there's so so and just let's close out on the hospital art thing. But just real quickly, like so, how would people get in touch with you, Scott? Like if they're interested in doing this, the the website is hospitalart.org, right? And then and then just reach out and you guys can set them up set set them up with a program. Yeah, that's probably the best. That's it. You got it. Cool. Uh, just a quick correction. You put the uh, wrong area I code. Did, yeah, yeah, it's two zero one two zero one two eight nine eight two zero zero. Yeah. And if we don't answer the call, uh, we may be right in the mid question or mid response. Just keep trying to call back, and we will uh, put you on at the uh, perfect moment. Okay. So, so Scott, let's let's show, so your 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 dad started this thing. You guys are from Georgia. You grew up in Georgia. Um, what made you interested in West Point? How did you decide, like, this is where you want to go to school? Yeah, I had a mentor that initially interest, introduced me to the Coast Guard Academy, of all things. And I, it, it opened my eyes to the military, but I really wanted kind of a larger experience than, than a school that was smaller than my high school. And so I ended up getting interested in Army and Navy and 
when I visited West Point, uh, that kind of sealed the deal. I think I was there for hundredth night and, uh, had such a great time with the class of 90 that, uh, they were pleased at the time. So I just, uh, uh, made my decision right then and there and, uh, and chose, chose West Point. Did you apply early action? I did. So yeah, I found out, uh, in December, uh, matter of fact, coach young was doing recruiting in Atlanta for somebody. And, um, I went to a meeting and uh, he was the one that told me I got in. It was crazy. <laughs> he assumed that I had already been told by the admissions department. Uh, that was a funny, funny way to find out from the wow. head football coach. <laughs> so, uh, so are you the oldest in your family? I am. I've got a, a younger brother. It's kind of interesting. We didn't talk about this, but he's a history professor, and one of his specialties is oral history. Uh, and so uh, I think he's going to find it very interesting that I, I did your podcast. Yeah, hopefully he's not going to beat me up too much on uh, all the all this screwed up way that we're doing it. We're actually following, the, we're actually following our roadmap pretty well. I was looking at the roadmap. We said we're going to talk. When I was speaking to Becky, Becky Canis, I was all over the map. She's like, you're doing this thing backwards. This is like crazy. Like we, 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 you know, so, so just as a, as a quick sort of like inside baseball thing, we have a pre-call. We talk for about a half an hour, just kind of think about where there's some interesting stories, where there's some meat on things to talk about. And then we try to talk through this like outline. So, so we're, we're going back to the beginning here. So we're, we're talking about Scott fight, 18, 17 year old, 18 year old, idealistic person looking to go to West Point, you know, all sort of wide eyed. And then, uh, so, so did your whole family come up to, for our day? Did they all fly up from Georgia for that? They did. Yeah. It was, um, it was, yeah, it was kind of, this is kind of neat. I, I actually was born in New York, um, in Terrytown, not too far from West Point. So it was kind of coming full circle, even though I didn't grow up here, coming back to school where I, and this is a total side story, but, uh, when I was in uh, flight school, Jeff Weber and I were roommates in the, and on our birthday, we found out that we were born in this on the same day, same year, about 25 miles apart. And, uh, so that's my, my connection to the area. So I wasn't, it wasn't my first time up in the area, but uh, it was neat to come, come to New York for school. Well, that's, that's, and had you frequented up here other than your, your visit? So when you came up for your visit, did your parents come with you on the visit too? No, I, I, I came up in the middle of winter, and when I got back home, and they, they said, did you like it? And I said, yes. And if you can like West Point in February with snow on the ground, I guess you're going to make it through. Yeah, that's not a good time to be there. This is the gloom period. They call it the gloom period between when you come back from Christmas and, and spring break. This is where, like the very depressing time. So I would always come back. It would be my birthday, the first day of the... I just turned 50 last week, or this week, actually, so... Happy birthday. Uh, Congratulations. Yeah, I know. Yeah, happy birthday. That's yeah. Big 5-0. And the big 5-0. The big 5-0. Well, you look like you're 40. So I, look, I feel, I feel like I'm 40, you know? You do. One of my, one of my daughter's friends, she's 14, uh, is, like, he's how old are you, 58? I'm like, fuck you. Get out of my house. <laughs> so... Hey, Sean, Sean Kelly just commented here that uh, both your daughters were in the Rose Bowl on, on the drill team? Uh, they were, yeah. One was on the flag line and one is a piccolo player. Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty. That's, and, so that, and so that was like the highlight, you said, of uh, Georgia football season was going to the Rose Bowl, huh? 
It, it was, yeah. It was that overtime game where they beat Oklahoma a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing. Yeah. One of, the, one of the best ever. Oklahoma has a way of ex- making games exciting by going into overtime because uh, the you know, Army almost beat them, uh, you know, in overtime. So we, you know, we got a shitty bowl game. I, I come to think of it, like, like I guess there's a, some kind of contractual thing that the best academy score has got to go to the Armed Forces Bowl, which is a cool bowl. But this year we should have been playing like New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. I think like, we were that good, you know, or one like a, a more exciting bowl, you know. What, what do you think, Scott? As a as a uh, expert in college football, you agree yeah. with me? I mean, I would have loved to have seen them, you know, try to take on the the likes of like, you know, Florida or, or Michigan in the Peach Bowl, something like that. You know, you know, see how see how they would stand up because I think they would do really well. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how it goes. I mean, I, I think Navy played a bowl too, didn't they? Play a bowl? I thought they were in like the, some other some other other bowl. I I don't know, but. It seems to me that they should take like the worst performing academy team and have them do the Armed Forces Bowl on a mandatory basis, and if then one of the other ones could go to the, like the Peach Bowl or something, I don't know. I don't know how it works, but I'm just some idiot talking. So, <laughs> fifty year old idiot yeah. talking. So we're so we're talking about we're 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 on to going into West Point. So what 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 was your R day experience and like your showing up the first day and meeting the rest of the what's T 2s uh. Uh, motto or their their names? What what are they called? The circus. Go the circus. circus. Yeah, Re- meeting your other circus friends. So, like, what was that? What was that day like when you show up there? And and uh, and, and who was like your your plebe, uh, your your beast roommate, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So, so my beast roommate was Todd Wasman. General uh, yeah, Todd Wasman. You squared him away yeah, from the very general. beginning. Saved his ass. Now he's a general. Yeah, I'd like to take credit for that, but that would be a lie. But, uh, <laughs> he, yeah, uh, you know, from day one, yeah, Todd, his background, it's a neat story, but he was one of our classmates that had gone to another college for two years and then uh, come. And so he was a little bit more mature. Um, and so, you know, he was kind of a steady force for me to get through Beast. But we made a good team. And, you know, I, I think, you know, we were all joking about it when he got promoted that at graduation, we all gave out these kind of funny awards. And at graduation, we gave Todd the award most likely to be out of the Army in five years. And, uh, and, and, and within C2, and, and look at him now. So yeah, he is. It, yeah we, we knew he was talented, but uh, it was great to see that he, he you know, stuck it out and, and was rewarded for his efforts. Yeah. Yeah, Moose George and I were talking about the same thing. Like, like he would have been one of the people that I would have said was likely to get out, and he stated, and now he's a general officer. So, uh, funny connection that way. So, and so, so you had some other characters there. So, uh, so tell me about some of these other antics that happened, Plebeer. You got uh, our regimental commander uh, Dave Walker was one of your company mates too, huh? Yeah, you know, I was listening to your other podcast about Dave, and, you know, Dave's got a couple of personas, and, you know, from outside the regiment, you know, everybody looks at a guy that's successful, and, and they think he's a serious guy, but, you know, he's a fun guy. He's uh, he's the, the life of the party, and he's always up to something behind the scenes. Well, when we were plebes first semester, one of those uh, visiting circuses came to Eisenhower Hall, and um, he thought it would be a neat idea to uh, cadet borrow, I love that term, uh, a horse from the circus, and then uh, 
bring it up to the circus in Bradley Barracks. So he brought this horse, I think like four in the morning, and quietly deposited the the, the horse in uh, the company first sergeant's bedroom. So I'm looking and at then, Joe. I'm looking at Joe again. Joe's rolling his eyes saying, yes, here's another story. Guys ripping their fingers off, driving motorcycles 170 miles yes. an hour, hitting each other over the head with, with pillowcases and books, yes, and stealing the, stealing a Navy goat and right. stealing a horse from a circus. A horse. So... so, so, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> so there's a horse. So, so there's a horse that was on post for this circus or something, right? And so, and we're and we're he's a police. Uh, how does how, first of all, did, Dave grew up in California. Did he have any experience with, with horses? Did he? How would he know like you can actually like bring a horse into the barracks like that? I, I have no idea, but he pulled it off, and uh, all of a sudden, all the the firsties were screaming. All the, made all the plebes get out on the wall, and uh, we had some good laughs. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what uh, what it, what that horse deposited in his room, but I don't, I don't, I think he left a present for the first sergeant. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! When they say college is pretty wild, just regular college. I mean, look at a horse. You had to make it fun, right? You had to do anything you could do to, to make it fun, you know, and. Uh, so I mean, a goat, you, you know, that's one thing, but a horse. Wow. Yeah. So, and, uh, so you have some other characters there. So, so tell me some other, some other stories of, uh, the C2 circus, uh, circus people. Yeah. Well, we, we were talking about one earlier today and I, I was going to share it with, uh, you know, we have a classmate named, uh, we call him evil Ed, uh, evil Ed, Ed Madison, Ed Madison, evil Ed. Yeah, and, and Ed is awesome. Well, I, and I hope he's listening, but um, this is a, a testament. Uh, we were roommates first year, and he's probably going to hate that I tell this story, but <laughs> it, 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 has a, it has a great ending to it in the sense that uh, I, we were at a football game, and as you guys know, sometimes when someone falls in the stands, it's like dominoes, and multiple people fell into other people. I fell into Ed. He thought it might have been intentional, uh, and so he elbowed me as hard as he could to get off of him or to, to re- return a little gift. Um, and so I didn't appreciate it. Everybody in the company didn't appreciate it. But, and this was like gonna, a serious, like he like he like almost knocked the wind out of you kind of a thing, right? Like this was a big hit that you took, right? Big hit. It's, bas- and, it's basically assault. So, it's assault. <laughs> you, you, yeah, yeah, so... <laughs> All right. Yeah. So so I was pretty upset. So I, I left the, and went to the other side of the stadium. I was pretty upset because he refused to apologize. And I look back on it and I laugh at how childish we were. But uh, he, he wouldn't apologize. And so the entire company began to silence him that day until he would agree to apologize. And it just shows you the collective, you know, we, we all come together to, right wrongs and stand, you know, uh, do the collective, uh, correct thing. But, uh, you know, it, as taps is getting close, he still hadn't, uh, come back to our room, hadn't apologized. And everybody's like, don't talk to Ed, do not talk to Ed. We're silencing him. And so <laughs> literally right at taps, he walks in and, you know, humbly apologizes and then jumps in bed, and, uh, and well, he gave you, you know, did he, he, gave, about, he gave you an ice cream sandwich. You said right, like he apologized with gave you an ice cream sandwich. Apologized with an ice cream sandwich. <laughs> yes. 
you know, it, 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 Ed, you know, we, we were a great roommate. So it wasn't like we did, we, you know, we got along great, but it was just one of those moments. And, uh, it just shows you where everybody looks out for each other and they, they knew something wasn't right. And, and we all fixed it, but it was great. So you, uh, Scott, you were one of the very, very few people of our classmates who did not walk any hours at all during West Point. You, you, you managed to get through there without, without any disciplinary hours that you had to walk, um, which, is, which, is, which is an accomplishment for sure. Um, Jamie, let me ask you, how many hours did you have to walk? I didn't walk that many. I got in trouble. I got a lot of demerits. Let me tell you, a lot yeah. of demerits. But I, I, got, um, I only walked like 16 hours total. Okay. Um, but my plebe year, oh, my God, I got, I, I got hammered. Because they give you an allotment, like you can have, you can have like I think up like twenty five demerits a month, and anything anything above twenty five, mm-hmm. you'd walk an hour. I was like twenty two, twenty three, twenty four. So you were like just on the all border the time, yeah. all the time. Like I was always because I had this one yearling who hated my guts. I mean, this one it was and for good reason she hated my guts. It's a whole separate story. I have to tell that another <laughs> time. But she hated my guts, and then she ended up being my freaking team leader and then she wrote me up all the time oh boy yeah audrey hannigan class of 90 <laughs> audrey hannigan did not like me um so it, anyway uh so who were some of the limit pushers there in c2 you know uh we had uh todd real who uh, ultimately graduated the class of 92 he was a centuryman uh he was always pushing the limit and um you know i I think early on, Dave Walker might have had some hours too, uh, but you know, he really cleaned up and uh, and went on to great things there. But I'm trying to think of uh, some of the others. How about, Ed, how about Ed? How about Ed Madison? Uh, Ed had had a few for sure. You know, and, and for those that don't know Ed, I kind of to give you the picture. Ed was, and you may not remember this. Ed won the heavyweight collegiate title for judo when we were firsties. Wow. So, and, uh, and I think he could still judo, do judo today. Uh, he's in great shape and, uh, he's always been one tough cookie. And did he, did he serve a career in the army? I see his title here is Colonel. So he, is he active duty Colonel all the way through? Uh, he, he did. Yeah. Um, he, uh, towards the end of his career, he, he specialized in computer science for the army or, uh, and, and systems and stuff like that. But, uh, now he's, he's out like an, uh, you know, corporate it officer for a company up in Corning, New York. Yeah. I, I saw a picture of him at the Buffalo game with Jim Montgomery, my company mate, Jim, Jimbo, Jim Montgomery. And so I saw a picture of those two guys together. I figured he was up there. So who were some other, uh, some other, Will Huff, didn't he get in some, he got into some, uh, you got into some trouble, I think, back in the day. I, w- I think, right? Uh, he came to our company uh, towards the end, and so um, he was a class of ninety that that graduated with us. Uh, now he was a mo- when he was in C two, he was a model cadet. You know, I, we were just impressed that he had such a great year in football, and then he could transition to lacrosse, having not played it for four years, and be you know a, a great Division one athlete. He, he was just, you know, that that guy could run the two mile APFT in like, you know, ten and a half minutes. And you looked at his body, and he was an offensive or defensive lineman. You're like, how is that even possible? Um, I, I definitely wasn't blessed with those those athletic abilities. 
Yeah, he and I think his kid goes to West Point too now. He does. Yeah, yeah. he's on the football team. And you got some other got some other characters too. Mike Mike Schultz. I talked about Schultz in Ranger School on a previous podcast. He's a he and I went through a lot of stuff together, OBC, and ended up in a lot of the same classes and whatnot. So he's a good, good character. So, so what yeah. other, what other, what are your other favorite, favorite memories from West Point before we move on to the Army? Like, uh, like what, what was your, what was your toughest day? What was your proudest day? What was your most discouraging day? You know, I, one of my toughest days was uh, not making the soccer team. I, and this is, I'm probably like a hundred, you know, or 500 of us there that you, you think you're really good in high school and then you get to college and you go, Whoa, like, you like, I'm not near as good as I thought I was. And so, you know, I went out for the soccer team thinking I was going to make it. And I see guys like, you know, Fred Kratz and Lou Baker and Steve Patton and Johnny Brents. And there, there were others that, you know, I might have skills wise, I might have been okay, but they were faster and taller and bigger and stronger. And um, yeah, I, I think dealing uh, with disappointment when you don't make the first team something you, you know, first time in your life you didn't get something you wanted. Um, you know, and then I moved into intramurals and it was great, but uh, that was kind of the thing. You know, I, I think, you know, one of the greatest days, I hope you feel this way, was when our day came, um, right, your recognition day, not our day, but when um, at the end, May, May the end 24th, of plebe year. Yeah. End, end of plebe year, man, what a, what a great day that was. But, um, you know, I, yeah, there's so many fond memories, you know, Army, Navy, here's a great story for you. So Dave Walker and Todd Reel and Todd Wasman and I go down to Navy as plebes, and we're sitting in the hotel bar and Todd Wiseman looks over and he's like, Hey, that's George Carlin sitting across from us in the bar. And, and we're like, really? And so Todd goes up and talks to him. The next thing we know, George Carlin is buying us tequila shots all night long. Oh my God. That was epic. Yeah, it was, it was unreal. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, the, those are those are some great weekends, and you know, but, uh, Camp Buckner was a, was a lot of fun as well. What company were you in? Oh, geez. Oh, where was? I can't remember. Where were you geographically? Were you on the hill or not on the hill? No, we kind of uh, so, uh, up the hill a little bit, but near the water. I, they were numbered, weren't they? Yeah, they were numbers. Yeah, up the hill. Uh, uh-huh. You definitely weren't yeah, fourth. That was all the way up to hell. Yeah, I can't remember. I know I was with with uh, bunkmates in there with Mike Smith, Jason Schrader, and um, and a few others. So, yeah, Butner was a Butner was an interesting time. It's the first time you like get thrown into a whole another setting with different cadets you don't even know. You know, and you you start building like uh-huh. you, like you got to get reacclimated to working with other people that you don't know that well. So, and then, um, and then you branched aviation, right? So that must've been a, a pretty, uh, exciting day when you like pass your physical and said, boom, you're going to get, you're going to get to fly something. What, what, what aircraft did, did you fly? So I flew the Huey. Uh, I actually, that's what we trained in. And then I stayed on the Huey track the whole way. So I ended up, 
my stick buddies in flight school were Sal Herrera, uh, who went on to do great things in the Army, and uh, Ed Reddington, I think he was in F1 with you as well. Scooter Duke. Scooter Duke. Yeah, that's what we used to call him, Scooter Duke. Ed Reddington. Love Ed. I think I'm going to see Ed in Dominican Republic. So, you're saying that Ed was like, he was, everybody respected him because he was so sharp. He knew what he was doing, right? At, 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 uh, at, um, aviation school. He was, you know, calm. And, and I always felt, I mean, he got into the right profession. He's a, I think you said he's a, a litigator. Right. But, uh, it, it, yeah. He, he could reason away and outsmart all the flight instructors, which I was always envious of. Uh, <laughs> and so really talented guy. And um, he kind of just rock steady. You know, he didn't get flustered or, uh, yeah. you know, they would throw things at you and, He'd just be like, all right, what's next? Yeah, yeah, and now he's a litigator. And he was a flep, like a, you know, army JAG officer. And he was, he always used to, he always would go after the defense stuff. Like, he would, he'd be the guy that, like, your battalion commander makes a mistake and they fuck up some paperwork and some dirtbag gets gets to stay in the army because they screwed something up. Like, and he said he was the most hated man in all of Fort Bragg because he would, like, keep these guys in. And he would, like, and, I mean... Like, I mean, he just, he really just enjoyed pissing people off like that. I mean, and he, um, of course, it's a service, right? You got to do this. You got to make sure people have, like, the correct defense. But I think he would go overboard and he would especially delight, like, some high speed, low drag, you know, officer, like, that wants to chapter somebody out of the, chapter somebody out of the army and finding some mistake that they made and be like, oh, sorry, sir, this is not admissible. And, uh, he's going to be, uh, put back into, uh, you know, his, uh, normal unit with a, you know, good standing and is going to get his stripes back. That's, that's what, that's what Scooter Duke used to do. So I could picture him just enjoying that, just delating and, and, and just, you know, doing that. So, but, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's great. So you said in the army, you had some, some pretty interesting experiences behind the stick of, uh, some aircraft, right? Yeah, I was telling you a story about when I was at Fort Campbell, and um, it was towards the end of my time there, and I, it was a mission that we were flying up north of Fort Campbell, and you, you kind of asked, like, you know, anything hairy or, or, you know, crazy situation, but I was actually, it was, you know, bad weather, uh, low low visibility, low clouds and rain, and we were flying night vision goggles, and we basically couldn't get the weather report, and so we decided to, like, you know, let me back up a minute. We had a bunch of people that wanted a free ride back to Fort Campbell. And one of those was our classmate, Mark Orwat, uh, who you may know. And he, he is, um, I think some of his soldiers, you know, got in the back and so we lift off trying to get weather report cause we couldn't, we were too low behind a hill and then up in uh, Northern Kentucky, we ended up taken off try and my job was to kind of get the weather report while my co-pilot was flying but i realized like when my center of gravity kind of dipped forward than when it shouldn't have that we were kind of going right into the side of a hill at about 100 knots and my uh co-pilot had frozen on the controls got disoriented and i grabbed the controls and you know clipped the trees over toward the engine but got it out of there and we were really heavy, which made it hard to maneuver as well, which contributed to, to part of that. But, uh, you know, ended up flying the rest of the mission, getting back. And um, it was just really one of those moments where, you know, 
I might not have been here if I hadn't have acted quickly, but it's just what you do. It's what you're trained to do. And uh, it just shows you it can go sideways on you really quick if you're not really paying attention uh, on your mission. And, you know, it was kind of – I saw Mark Orwat, I think, a few years later, and he's like, man, I remember flying with you. And, you know, but that mission was kind of crazy that night. And I, I looked at him and said, you have no idea uh, how, how close we were. But, uh, yeah, that, that kind of, uh, that kind of highlighted the end of my tour there, but I, I had four great years of flying all kinds of cool missions, uh, in the 101st. Yeah. You know, we have, uh, we mentioned that one of the classmates, one of our fallen classmates who you mentioned, you knew actually passed away from a, from a helicopter, uh, accident. That was, uh, Mike Aguilar, right? Yeah, Mike, he was in flight school with us, and, uh, you know, I didn't know Mike super well. Got to know him at, I think he was a class of 90 that, that came back to our class. But um, just, you know, energy and fun guy, uh, class act. And uh, I think that was kind of the first person that, you know, when we went through flight school, that there was a, a an accident and mishap that cost him his life. And um, I'll always remember Mike uh, from from flight school and, um, I hope nobody ever forgets the guy for sure. Yeah, he died. He was, he was one of the, he died many, many years ago. I mean, he was probably a, what, a lieutenant or a captain, I think, right? This, this is. Yeah. I think he was a lieutenant on his way to NTC and, uh, crashed out Nevada or Utah out that, out that way. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's something. And then you also, you know, one of, one of our other classmates who, who you mentioned you had some interactions with was, uh, Mike Haas, who died as a cadet, uh, and so I want to make sure that we mention him as well because he's not somebody that we get too many chances to talk about. But you had an experience; he was your lab partner, I think, right? He was, yeah. He was in I two, I believe, or or G two, one of the one of those companies. But he uh, he and I were lab partners in Juice, and uh, I don't know if most people survived that course, but it was tough for me. Uh, but he and I were lab partners and it was kind of a weird, uh, thing that happened. You know, he, we did a lab the Friday before spring break. He passes away from a, a dune buggy accident, uh, South Padre Island. And we come back and on Monday morning, the professor's handing out the labs and he was never notified that Mike had passed away. And, he made this really kind of rude comment like, oh, he got an A. It's too bad because, you know, if he had been here, he would have gotten his, an A. And um, some, you know, the words got back to, I don't know who did it, but somebody complained. And that the professor was actually removed from the classroom for the rest of the semester for insensitive comments. But, uh, you know, I, I just remember Mike and his smile and his attitude and uh, zest for life. And and what a great friend he was, and so um, I I think in a, in a weird way I, I might have they might have taken sympathy on me and and let me pass juice because I I sure had a I sure struggled in that class, but uh, Mike was a great friend in that you know during that time period and uh, I'll always remember him as well. Yeah, I you know you just made me think about one of my lab partners, I, one of your company mates too. Corey New is your company mate, right? Corey Corey New. He is. Yeah, he was my he was my lab partner for uh, chemistry. I remember. I don't think I was a very good lab partner. He carried me through, and I, m- I remember him being kind of pissed off at what a dipshit I was. Uh, but <laughs> I was trying to survive. 
<laughs> Corey's a good guy, though. Uh, Corey and I, we crossed paths a few times in the army, and uh, I think he's, I think he's in Pennsylvania now or something. I think he retired. So. Yeah, he he retired there as an 06. He's transitioning. I think he's got a job now in Connecticut or, or Massachusetts. Um, his son is going fi- to finish up his senior year in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then they'll move. But uh, yeah, he's in the logistics world, uh, moving. You know, working. You know, like the senior logistics officer for a large company. Yeah, I mean, he had a pretty high level job in the army too. I remember he told me he was managing 10 million square feet of warehouse space you know for the defense logistics agency i think dla and so he has got some some tremendous transferable skills that he's bringing out into the civilian world so i'm sure he's he's going to be doing super well there so but um so so uh so then so i'm just trying to figure out where we are here so then you know so so you had these several experiences in the army you met your wife and you're at the hunter first you ended up. Uh, so, what was that like? You were were you guys newly married, and then you you have an unaccompanied tour in Korea. We we were, and uh, I, I think I know where you're trying to lead me down this road. <laughs> no, I our uh, my wife came over to visit, and uh, and uh, we she left, and uh, and then the rest of my tour, well, I came home to twins. So ah. that you. You, you want to talk about a, a rough transition. You know, we talk about transitioning out of the Army. You know, all those stressors of, you know, when they do those studies about changing jobs, changing locations. Uh, I, I was, we were relocating to Fort Benning, uh, twin newborns. I hadn't been with my wife for a year and uh, trying to make that adjustment into a community where we knew very few people uh, was a challenge, but, but uh, we survived it. So, but for those that have had twins, they'll relate. The first year is probably the hardest. Um, but, but once you get through that, in, in many ways, it gets easier. But uh, that, that last year in the Army was, was tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not sleeping and, and trying to uh, fulfill all the duties as well. Yeah. And now here we are, like, you know, 20 years later. You know, your daughters are seniors in college and... You guys are empty. How's the empty nesting thing going on? I'm I I have not experienced that yet, but I'm 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 think it's going to be a little slice of heaven. You know, I love my kids, but it'd be, be nice to have some alone time too. How, how's that going? It, it it's great. I mean, we, the University of Georgia is only about an hour and a half from where we live, so we're able to go up there when we need to go to football games but it's enabled us to travel and and do some other things that uh you definitely don't have time for so it's it's great but having kids is great too so yeah you said you made a point too like there's a lot of you guys that get together there in atlanta area you have like some kind of like informal get-togethers that happen periodically yeah you know this is something I think is, or at least for me, as I get older, I, I appreciate and value the, the bonds that we made. And so a few years ago, I kind of stole the idea from Jeff Weber and um, uh, Brian Fitzgerald, I think, had the idea that get people together in New York City once a quarter. And so I, I said, you know, there's got to be a lot of 91 people, and I think there's about 10 of us in the Atlanta area. And we usually get together Army Navy Week uh, uh, and move it around the city, but we try to get together and just, uh, you know, in many cases, you know, build new relationships with 
guys and and women that were in other companies that I didn't know. But it, it, that's been great. Uh, Ted Russ has helped me do it uh, as well. So we kind of the two of us kind of put it together. But you know, it, it kind of goes to my my theory is is as I travel, I try to look up classmates when I travel, and I think we should all do it uh, when we do and have a meal with them uh, because. You know, there's just nothing. It's a special bond that we all have. And, you know, sit, you know, when you travel, you could sit by yourself at a hotel and eat a meal or you could, you know, go find a classmate and and reconnect. And and I hope more and more of us do that as we as we get older. I think there's also a pretty there's a clever way to do it with our class page. You can go to members and then there's a way to look at it uh, geographically. So if you're going to go to, like, say. You know, Chicago, you can see who's in Chicago of this 91 members group. And I know you can definitely do that on LinkedIn. So that is a technique. Because one of the things is like, how do you know where people are? Like, you know, they're out there. You see them in Facebook. You stay connected. But how do you know who's who's where? And uh, so that's one way to do it. I'll be in Atlanta, by the way, in March. So we'll definitely love to get together with some people in hot Atlanta when I'm down there. But that's a good, that's a good point. Okay. I mean, making... Uh, you know, to come to think of it, the last time I saw Tom McTeek was at one of those breakfasts uh, with uh, that Fitzy and uh, and Pete Gaudet, um put put together and uh, and Weber. Uh, it, it, that was the last time I saw him. And, um, and you you went to flight school with him, right? I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lots of weekends in Atlanta and, and Panama City with uh, Tommy and and that whole gang. Yeah. What a good guy. I know and now you know Fitzy Fitzy Fitzy's um tragically lost his wife last year. She died of cancer and um and it just so happened that um Tommy McTeek was his his wife was was close to him geographically. I think they've been a real support structure for one another. So um you know so we're we're there for each other and you know and for our our, our spouses as well. So you know, yeah, we donated a we donated a mural in honor of Brian's wife uh, to the to where she was had her care at the end. Mm. So Jeff, Jeff Jeff Weber helped me make that happen. So that's great. That's great. That's awesome that you did that. So um, so we're getting to the end of our ninety minutes here, and uh, so we should start to wrap this up. I'm just curious if you have any other. Last minute thoughts or things that uh, you, maybe we didn't get a chance to mention that you wanted to mention on this on this podcast uh, of anything army or or civilian life or West Point. Uh, you know, it, when you first reached out to me, uh, I, I, when we first graduated, this kind of I don't know if I was the precursor for podcasts or or the internet or something, but I. I started a, uh, for lack of a term, a blog, but it was a letter. It was a newsletter called Under the Big Top Newsletter, and it was just for C-291. And I kept it up for a couple, maybe like two years while we were all lieutenants. And about once a quarter, I would, you know, reach out to everybody, get the really funny stories, and then send it uh, out. And, you know, I kind of forgot about it. And, you know, one year, uh, I get this letter in the mail and it was from Brian post. And it was, it was one of the editions of under the big top newsletter. And, you know, talk about funny stories that you forget. Uh, and, and I think, you know, that's just, uh, an example of what you're doing here, uh, is going to really help, uh, as you do 
many of these, you know, capturing a lot of these stories and stuff that, uh, for the future, I think is, is fantastic. But, you know, all in all, I just, you know, I think keeping our classmates connected is, is what, you know, makes it special, uh, and why we all love to be a part of the long gray line. Yeah. And I think we're also all connected through that, uh, common, not only the common experience of West Point, but you know, our class, I think, I want to believe is actually a very special class and the concept of giving back and duty shall be done. Uh, you know, I, I, everyone I meet, that's one of our classmates. There is some kind of like higher purpose connection to who we are and what we do as a class. And so I think this is a good way to kind of conclude and just remind people, you know, we're here to, we're here to, to, to be supportive for one another, to lift each other up in tough times, to, to celebrate accomplishments to continue our connections, to remember our fallen classmates, uh, and just uh, to just continue to push each other and kick ass and take names as as a class. So, um, Scott, I'm I, I'm so proud of you. I mean, all the good stuff you're doing with Hospital Art that is just fantastic. And um, thank you so much for being my guest tonight. And thank you also for the support and trying to get your uh, fellow uh, circus guys uh, together for uh, Company C two for supporting our class gift. And um, and uh, duty shall be done. Scott, thanks for joining us tonight. Please hold on to the phone. We're going to talk to you for a minute after we wrap up the program. The Old Grad Podcast will be available on Podbean. Jamie, if you want to give out that information. Sure. it's uh, You go to podbean.com and look up uh, Old Grad Podcast, and that's where it is. And also on Facebook here, the audio stream should be available within a few minutes after we do sign off. And once again, we will be returning in the future on what Well, days? we're going to do a, a brief little live live feed in two weeks, which is when we're going to be at Friar Palooza. That's in the uh, Dominican Republic with uh, Company F1. Okay. And then after that, in the beginning of February, I, I hope to have another guest. I missed being able to have Mark Beeger because we had a little... Uh, scheduling conflict i hope i can get him back on maybe in february okay and then we've got a few other classmates too so thanks so much um and thanks for being on the call and thanks to all our classmates we got matt lewis clint schreckheis scott clemenson uh martin adams uh who else we got uh moose george crook swanson bunch of people so uh good night to you guys and duty shall be done Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast. Please check back on this Facebook page for information about featured guests and upcoming episodes of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast.